So we have all heard the phrase, there are two kinds of people at some point or another, right? We're kind of very familiar with this, right? There are two kinds of people. I'll give you some examples. One current, people who love Halloween and everyone else, right? It's like no in between there. You either really love it or you're kind of... People who go outside and like embrace winter and people who hibernate, right? People who vacation at the beach, people who prefer to go to the mountains, people who love chocolate, and people who are wrong. This is a common trope, right? A literary device that is used to make a point, to organize a list of things, to differentiate between two specific things. We like this. We like things in binary. It's so simple for us, just two choices, right? In or out, here or there, boy or girl, Democrat or Republican. We like binary. And we usually put binaries in front of people when we are trying to make a judgment of some kind, right? Like the choice we say when we say, do you like winter or summer? And the obvious answer is winter, right? Yes, the obvious answer is winter. If we don't love it, why do we live here, right? The problem is that this world is not binary and God isn't either. So anytime we have two choices laid in front of us so clearly like we do this morning, it is important for us to approach it with a little hesitancy. It is a trap. So we're going to talk through today's gospel, which is a trap very neatly set for us by Jesus, and we are going to try to avoid it by looking at it closely. So it starts out, Jesus told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and regarded others with contempt. Whew, with a start like that you know it's going to be good, right? So this is a parable we hear right off the bat. It is a story that is used to make a point. In this case of Jesus telling parables, it is a story that is used to explain how God works in the world. And then Jesus introduces us to the two kinds of people in this parable, the Pharisee and the tax collector. Now we, through this parable, kind of assume that the tax collector is kind of the good guy and the Pharisee is kind of the bad guy, right? That's what the story makes it seem like. But those listening would hear these two laid in front of them and they would assume that the Pharisee is the good guy. And they would not be wrong. This guy in this time was right. He was righteous by the law. He was doing all the things the law told him to do. He was praying and fasting and giving and being appropriately religious. We often make the mistake of calling Pharisees the bad guys of the gospel. We think they're these religious leaders obsessed with legalism, and we make them out to be pretty bad. And that is just not the case. In fact, it has been used as ammunition for rampant anti-Semitism historically and still today. But Pharisees sought to encounter God through daily life and ritual. They sought to encounter God through obedience to the law of Moses. Their motivation was good. They did the rule-following and religious ritual stuff because they believed it would bring them closer to God. See, to the original audience of Luke's gospel, this Pharisee is the good guy. Now, the other guy, the tax collector, he is in cahoots 
with the occupying forces. He collects taxes from his community members, from his people, to give to the Roman authorities, usually keeping a cut for himself. Tax collectors were exploitative, and their reputation among their people was not good. So to the original audience of this parable, the tax collector is the bad guy. So when Jesus tells this parable, there were two guys. There was the Pharisee and the tax collector. And then he tells this parables where it seems really like the Pharisee is the bad guy and the tax collector is the good guy. I can only imagine the reaction of the crowd listening when Jesus made that argument. The trap has been set. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed, God, I thank you I'm not like other people thieves and rogues and adulterers, or even like this tax collector. The tax collector, standing far off, he would not even look up to heaven, but was beating his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. So the lesson most of us take when we hear this parable or we have read this gospel maybe on our own or we've heard it before is roughly some version of be humble, right? Don't be like the Pharisee, be like the tax collector. Don't think you're awesome. God wants you to acknowledge your sinfulness. But here's the problem. This is a trap, remember? The moment we do this, the moment we declare only one of these guys is good and the other one is bad, we are doing the very thing Jesus is warning us against. Because the moment you realize you are trying to be like the tax collector, right? Have mercy on me, a sinner. Then at the same time, you are really glad in some ways that you are not the Pharisee. And then you have made it again about how good you are at being not good, right? You've made it about your own ability to recognize how not good you are, therefore worthy of God. It's about you, your own faith, your own work. It's a trap. Sneaky Jesus. Jesus told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous. This is about people thinking they can do it on their own. Now today is Reformation Sunday, a day where we remember the work of Martin Luther, the ways in which he challenged and changed the church, and one of those is perfectly illustrated in today's gospel. Because Jesus is telling this parable not to highlight that one guy is better than the other or that we should be one of these two people, but to highlight that the only one with power in this story is Jesus. It is not about the good you do or the good you don't do. It is not about how aware you are of your sinfulness or how much you do for the sake of the church. This parable is a clear reminder that it is only the work of God that justifies, that forgives, that reconciles. And that is ultimately what the Reformation was about. Luther realized first and foremost that if anything about his salvation rested on his ability or his character or his faith, then he was lost. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not the result of works, so that no one may boast. I'm glad I'm not like that other guy. 
This parable, indeed, the whole Reformation was and is, continues to be. We are always reforming. It is an attempt to shift our attention from ourselves, from our faith and the good stuff we do, or our failure and the shame we have about it, to shift that attention from ourselves to God. God who delights in calling us beloved, who welcomes the outcast, who heals all who are in need. Jesus said, I tell you that this man, meaning the tax collector, went down to his own home justified rather than the other. Now, this verse translated for us this morning in the NRSV, which we heard from, can really make it seem at the end that the tax collector gets sort of the good designation, the Pharisee kind of gets the bad one, right? It definitely feels like there was insider-outsider here, like this guy's in, that guy's out, too bad for everyone, right? But the word that has been translated from the Greek into rather, rather than the other, is actually agreed upon by scholars of Luke's gospel to maybe be better translated as alongside, which significantly changes the passage, right? Instead of, I tell you that this man went to his own home justified rather than the other, it is alongside the other. There is no in or out here because God is not binary and does not operate the way we do. This different translation seems to imply that both men in this story, both types, head home justified. The point is not in who we have deemed worthy of forgiveness and who we think should be left out of it. It is that God does not do it this way. Now notice the tax collector, the, the bad guy, has not at this point quit his job. He has not said he'll do better next time. He has not apologized. He says, he does not say, I'll join the resistance and fight against the Roman occupiers. No, Jesus doesn't even ask for those things. Jesus doesn't require those things before he calls that man justified and sends him home. And the Pharisee, the good guy, he is still good. Now, I mean, maybe he's a little too self-assured, kind of a jerk, actually. But if we're honest, Jesus never calls him bad. He doesn't say you're out. He doesn't say you're evil. He doesn't say you are unforgiven. He says the Pharisee will be humbled. See, this whole parable is not in the end about either of those two types of people, but all about God. Jesus tells this parable to remind those listening that the only one who ever gets to decide anything about any of us is God. On this Reformation Sunday, we need this reminder. We got to watch Nora experience it in real time. She literally threw herself backwards into the font for Pastor Chad to pour water on her head. She was ready for it. We got to gather and see this promise happen in action. And we need this reminder in front of us that God has already chosen you, that God has already named and claimed you and called you beloved. That has already happened. It is not your 
good job at church stuff, fancy word we call piety, nor does your self-critical humility, thinking you are not worthy of the love of God, neither of those move God to love you. The message of today is that God loves and forgives with and without us. The trap of today is to think we have to be one of these two types. The trap is thinking that one of them is better. In fact, I think the two characters in today's gospel represent two fundamental truths about God and about how we look at God that I want to leave you with today. The Pharisee reminds us that there is nothing you can do to make God love you more. So if you are a person who is working so hard to earn God's love, hear that promise that you can stop trying so hard. There is nothing you can do to make God love you more. And that tax collector is representative of those of us who think we are unworthy of what God is offering. Have mercy on me, a sinner. He can't even look up. And he represents that promise that there is nothing you can do or have done that will make God love you less. So which one of those do you need to hear more today? There is nothing you can do to make God love you more. Not a thing. And there is nothing you can do to make God love you any less. Not a thing. So it's funny, we kind of sing about winning and then God's like, everybody wins. So that's a, it's a, good, it's a good message for us to take with, with as we leave on this day, as we are reminded that if you were one of those people who feels a little more like, you know, you're working really hard, God loves you just as you are and you can take a breath. And if you are a person who feels like you are just not worthy, God loves you just as you are. You can take a breath. And so with that, we take this reminder these parables are not about the two kinds of people, but about God and how God loves us just as we are. So with that, we take that good news with us into the world to go in peace and love and serve the Lord.